Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om Tadekam Smaramas Tadekam Hajamaha Tadekam Jagat Sakshi Rupam Namamaha Sadekam Nidhanam Niralam Bamisham Bhavam Bodhipotam Sharanyam Rajamaha Om Shanti 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 On that alone do we meditate, that alone do we worship, to that alone the witness of the universe do we bow, to that one who is our sole eternal support, the self-existent Lord, the raft to safety across the ocean of this world, do we come for refuge. Om, peace, peace, peace. Good morning. Nice to see all of you. Many many friends and some new faces. And congratulations for braving the weather, facing fearlessly the weather to come here. (laughs) Today our topic is Fearless in a fearsome world, or maybe we could we could better title it something like facing fear. Uh, what a blessed state fearlessness, real fearlessness is. Let's take a moment to imagine if we could go through life fearlessly. Nowhere do we feel any danger. Never do we feel any threat. And more importantly, never do we feel held back by our fears. We're not afraid in our interactions with our colleagues or our our families or with strangers. We don't feel any hesitation in simply expressing our inner feeling. We are looking upon all with love and peace because there's nothing to be afraid of. It doesn't mean that there are no difficulties in life, but that we're not afraid to face them. We simply accept that there will be difficulties in life and we face them. This wonderful freedom, if we reflect on how much we're actually hampered and held back and constricted by fear, by worry, by anxiety, To be free of that is a wonderful state of freedom, of bliss, of joy. It is something to to strive for. It is something that our Vedanta tradition emphasizes as one of the fundamental qualities to be cultivated, to be sought after. And so I'd like to talk more today about uh, the psychology of fear and how we can overcome it. It's even our heroes, in, in, not only in ancient cultures, but today, our heroes are placed before us as those who are fearless, or if not fearless, at least facing fearful things with courage. The word courage, you know, it comes from the, uh, the French, cœur, heart. When our hearts are full of confidence and straightforwardness. What is there to fear? We are ready to face whatever comes to us. But say our our ancient heroes like Rama and Krishna, they had to slay the horrible monsters and demons. Fearlessly they did it. They simply chopped their heads off and whatnot. And uh, today, uh, will our heroes in television, Superman, of course that dates me a little bit, but uh, (laughs) Superman fearlessly uh, capturing and putting into prison the enemies of humanity. Uh, Look at Swami Vivekananda, who came to this country to deliver the message of Vedanta. And how much he had to be fearless. Just think how much racism was in this country at that time. In 1893, it was still a terribly racist country, full of fanatics, religious fanatics also, who wouldn't accept the universal message of Vedanta. 
Well, he faced all of that and fearlessly. So we, we admire those who are fearless. Even we like to go to the circus and watch the tightrope walkers who can, without any safety net, just holding a little pole walking on this little wire. We almost feel terrified watching them. We do feel terrified watching them, lest they fall. And yet, we're also drawn to that. We're drawn to that because they are demonstrating this uh, a victory, as it were, a, a victory over fear. They have conquered fear. So how wonderful that is. So uh, that's our ideal, fearlessness. And yet, at the same time, it seems like we are taught to fear. And uh, especially today in this, the, the, the newspapers and the, the news cycle, which is so much a part of most of our lives, uh, it emphasizes fearful things. There's always bad news. You don't get to read about all the good news. You always read about the bad news. And that naturally stimulates our fear that, well, it could happen to me also. Uh, and then politicians make use of those fears and stoke them more and get elected, right? So uh, that, that's what, what, how we are. Now, the world seems quite fearsome. It seems quite fearsome. It's a, it's a trouble in our lives. So I'd like to start by uh, looking at the Vedantic analysis of fear. Actually, there are three ways we respond to, it, to this world. And uh, we, we are attracted to things which we like, things which give us pleasure, and we are repelled by things which give us pain. These two are the standard two sides of one coin, raga and dvesha, attraction and repulsion. And then we have a third one, which is intimately connected to these two, bhaya, fear. It's an anticipation of the loss of pleasure or of the experience of pain. We anticipate losing some good thing or we anticipate uh, experiencing some bad thing and we feel bhaya, fear. It's interesting how uh, these, these are connected that our fear, it's not immediate. It's based on an anticipation of what's going to happen. I'm anticipating that I'm going to lose something, or I'm anticipating, I'm imagining, I'm expecting something is going to happen, and I feel this fear. Now, of course, Vedanta, we'll, we'll get into that a little more later, but Vedanta boils down the root of fear to duality. Whenever we, we see there are two we fear, and Vedanta always comes back to oneness. Let's set that aside for just a moment and uh, look at fear from the biological perspective, because there is also a strong biological component to fear. Look at the animal kingdom. What do we see? We see that animals eat other animals. A lot of animals eat other animals. That's just a fact of life. Fish, big fish eat small fish. Penguins eat big fish. Killer whales eat penguins. Nothing eats killer whales generally, except for Japanese whalers probably. They, they kill and eat the, the killer whales. So uh, <laughs> then uh, in the forest, hmm, we have the bobcats and the coyotes eat the rabbits and the mountain lions eat the bobcats. And uh, like that, owls eat mice. Uh, it, it's built into our biology. This uh, response to physical threat, response to being eaten, uh, brings up a very strong physical response. And it has three components. I think we all know what they are the fight or flight, right? And then also freeze. There's actually three. Fight, flight, freeze, the three Fs. When, when we are faced with fear, we have three F responses. Fight or flight, run, <laughs> or freeze. Now, the interesting thing is that 
this biological response carries over into our lives when we're not faced with life-threatening events. These are This fight, flight, and freeze response is instinctual. We don't think about it. When we're faced with, on the rare occasions when we perhaps have been faced with life-threatening situations, like um, a, a barking dog baring its teeth, unleashed, coming right at us, hmm? that's when this kicks in. And we don't think. Either we run, or we fight, or we freeze. Uh, and But most of the time, we're not faced with these actual life-threatening situations. It's a tragedy. It's, it's really a great tragedy in this world that's, that so many people are still faced with uh, life-threatening situations, as thre- situations in which physical harm uh, is, it happens, uh, not only in war zones where it's rampant, but even in our own homes. So this is a, a tragedy, and we acknowledge that. But for most of us, most of the time, we're not faced with life-threatening situations, situations in which we are about to be physically harmed. And yet, because of this noggin, we start to imagine all kinds of uh, bad things that could happen, and we start to get fearful. And then, this same biological response kicks in. Fight, flight, or freeze. We know some people, they become very aggressive. That's the fight response. Very often, oftentimes, that kind of aggression, if we see it in others or if we see it in ourselves, we can examine, what am I afraid of? What what am I afraid of that's making me suddenly so aggressive that I feel like I need to fight? There may be, that that aggression may be masking a a, a fear. When we're fleeing, when we're running from something, that's a little more clear. We, We understand when people run away, they're afraid. That's more clear. And freeze, this paralysis. So often we're paralyzed in life. We can't make a decision because we don't know what's going to happen. We have a fear of the unknown. And we freeze. We paralyze. So that's how I see that if we can face fear, if we can address fear and conquer it, we will not be... uh, subject to these kinds of biological responses which come up automatically in the presence of fear, fight, flight, and freeze. I'd like to, I was thinking about animals, and uh, somewhere it was pointed out, say, if you think of a deer, a deer is constantly in fear. If you see them so skittish, the moment they notice you, they're afraid, and they watch you very closely, and if you come any closer, they shoot off. Uh, But contrast a dog. Now, a dog, if something uh, threatening happens, a dog will be afraid, and often it will, be, it will show aggression or it might run off. Uh, but afterwards, no fear. Dog is perfectly happy to lie, sleep sound. Dog sleeps, sleeps soundly. It doesn't worry about it's what's going to happen tomorrow. It doesn't worry that maybe that dog next door is going to come back tomorrow and bite him. The dog doesn't worry about that. It doesn't think about the future. It's only we human beings who are able to do that, who are able to uh, imagine all kinds of difficult scenarios in which we might be placed tomorrow or next week and, and ha- lose our sleep over it and toss and turn all night because we're worrying about what might happen tomorrow, what might or might not happen tomorrow. So in some ways, uh, I like the attitude of a dog. Hmm? All right, if there's something actually that needs our, our fight or our flight, we'll, we'll fight or we'll flee. Uh, but otherwise, sleep soundly. <laughs> so fearlessness I'd like to just take a moment to distinguish when we're talking about fearlessness. It doesn't mean uh, that, we, that there won't be no difficulties in life, first of all. We will face difficulties, maybe even ones in which we feel afraid. But when we need to face it, we face it. We don't run away. We don't freeze. We don't become overly aggressive. But also what it doesn't mean is recklessness, uh, like 
the teenager who was completely unaf I mean, I can think back to my own <laughs> teenage years of doing reckless things, riding the bicycle down the mountain at 50 miles an hour because I'm invincible. <laughs> uh, and uh, so we can distinguish between fear and caution. A, a, a dose of caution is necessary. When we're crossing a busy street, we don't just walk out into the street fearlessly, say, okay, there are cars coming. We stop, we look. Okay, now the coast is clear, we cross. That's caution. That's not what, what we're talking about as fear. But uh, that is necessary living in this world. Uh, but courage to face our challenges in life and Overcoming worry, giving up worry. So, coming back to the, the, the causes of fear. What really is the cause of fear? The Upanishads will have a little dose of Vedanta and then another little dose of biology. <laughs> the Vedantic... I, the Vedantic uh, analysis is that as long as we see something separate from us, there is room for fear. When we, f we, we see something apart from us, say, take the example of a bee, and a bee is coming towards me, and I, I'm separate from the bee, and I know the bee can sting me, and I feel afraid of the bee. Separate. There are two, so I'm afraid. I'm separate from the person walking in the street. I don't know him. I feel afraid of him. Where there is oneness, how can there be any fear? Because there's nothing to be afraid of if it's all one. If I'm alone, who is there to fear? Now, Vedanta posits the amazing idea that ultimately, we are not separate. Actually, in reality, we are one. We are... Uh, reality is non-dual, one and non-dual. When we touch that, when we get a glimpse of that, there's no more fear. So long as we experience duality, there is bound to be some fear. So that's the ultimate Vedantic analysis of uh, fear. But I think bio biologically also it's important to understand this the fear, it, co it clearly boils down to me to the fear of death, the fear of death, because uh, animals eat animals, and we are also animals. We are at least encased in an animal kind of a body. Hmm? And until pretty recently, animals also ate people. Even now, on rare occasions, someone gets... Uh, uh, eaten by a shark or a crocodile or a lion or a tiger, it happens. Uh, so the ultimate Vedantic solution to fear is to know that we are indestructible. To stop identifying with our bodies and start identifying with our true nature, which is the infinite, the unchanging, the undying self is the ultimate solution. We come back again and again to this in uh, Vedanta, and sometimes I worry a little, so people, you'll start thinking, oh, there he goes again, I'm not the body, I'm not the body. Enough already. <laughs> the reason we come back to this again and again is because we are constantly making the same mistake. We need to remind ourselves continually that we are not bodies. We are not matter. We are not the slave of matter. Matter is, uh, is our servant. We are the master of matter. But it's so compelling, this idea that we are bodies, because we are clearly in, in a body, and I feel in some ways that this is me. It's a, it's a huge mistake, says, say all the saints and sages. It's a huge mistake to think that you are this limited body. Sri Krishna bellows out, in the Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna. Achedyo yamadahyo yam Akledyo shoshya evacha 
nitya sarvagatasthanuhu achaloyam sanatanaha. He's telling Arjuna about his true nature and all of us about our true nature, our true self, which cannot be cut. Achedoyam, it cannot be cut. This cannot be cut by a sword or a knife or by a bullet. It cannot be burnt by fire. It cannot be wet by water or any other liquid. And it cannot be dried up. It is nitya, it is eternal. It is actually, we are, we are beyond time. It is unmoving. It doesn't go anywhere. And it does not change. To realize this is to destroy the fear of death. So we, we, as Vedanta students, we cultivate this consciously. Every, uh, oh, throughout the day, we can remind ourselves, I am not this body. When we get an ache or a pain, we say, yes, the body is having an ache. Oh, my knee hurts. Oh, yes, the body hurts. The knee is hurting. I am beyond all pain. I am that infinite blissful self. When I wake up in the morning, I can say, Haryom, good morning. I am the infinite self in this body which is now getting up. When we go to bed, we say, Haryom, I am the infinite self in this body which is now going to sleep. When we eat our meal, we say, Haryom, this body is eating food. I am that infinite self watching all of this. Cultivate the sense of ourselves as luminous beings, as beings of light, inhabiting this physical body perhaps, but indestructible beings of light. This is the teaching of Vedanta. This is the teaching of the saints and sages. And as we've talked about before, this is also the experience of those who have, uh, say, near-death experiences. When the, their body gets severely damaged or severely ill, and they leave the body, and they realize, I am an indestructible, luminous being who is now separate from my body. And then, of course, they go back into their body and, and live to tell us about it. So we're inhabiting a body, but we're not subject to it. So let's, let's take some practical points. Uh, one is, is really to recognize how much we are held back by fear. I've been trying to do that in the first part of the, the talk this morning, to point out how fear holds us back. And recognize the tremendous power of thought. Our thoughts are extremely powerful. What, how we think determines how we see this world. As Swami Vivekananda says, the wicked see this world as a perfect hell whereas the good see it as a perfect heaven. So one way, of course, to, one way in that sense to overcome fear is to simply change the way we think about the world rather than thinking about the world as a fearsome place full of terrible things that might happen. Uh, think of it as a heaven. Think of it as a playground of the divine. Know that all the people we see are luminous beings of light and love inhabiting bodies and covered over by personalities, some of which might be obscuring that love and light inside a lot. But still, it's there underneath. It's there. It's there within us and it's there within them. Recognize the tremendous power of thought. If we go on thinking, I am a luminous body, unaffected by, uh, I'm unaffected by death, we start to develop the conviction in its reality. And then, on the other hand, the power of negative thoughts also cannot be denied. If we go on thinking frightful thoughts, fearsome thoughts, then we are in the position, we'll be saying together with Job, the, the, the prophet Job of the Old Testament, who said, what I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. So uh, negative thoughts actually, people can sense fear, you know? They always say with the dogs, uh, 
a dog, we were always told as kids, dogs can tell if you're afraid, so don't be afraid of them. If you're afraid of them, they can tell and they'll be aggressive. And it's the same with people. People can also tell if you're afraid, if we're afraid. Subconsciously, maybe not consciously all the time. I think it's time for a couple of stories from Swami Vivekananda. He used to tell this story of the monkeys, the incident of the monkeys. Probably most of you know it, but it's worth recounting anyhow. This was when he was in his traveling mode. He was traveling all over India and unknown as an unknown penniless monk in the tradition of Hindu monasticism, where the monks own literally nothing, just the clothes on their back. And he was carrying along a couple of spiritual books with him, among them the Bhagavad Gita and begging his food, and depending fully on the divine. And there he was in Benares, visiting a temple to the divine mother, Durga. And uh, there was, he was passing through a place where there was a large pond on one side and a wall, a high wall on the other. So there was just a little passage between the water and this wall. And there were many monkeys. Now monkeys, uh, we think of monkeys as cute, uh, <laughs> oftentimes, especially little ones. But the monkeys that are in Benares, uh, especially when there's 20 of them, they're not so cute. And actually, they're kind of scary. And if they decide that they don't want to let you pass, they can be very scary. And that's exactly what they did with Swami Vivekananda. They took it into their heads, he says, not to let him pass. So he, was, uh, he puts it this way, the monkeys of Varanasi are huge brutes. And sometimes they are very surly. They now took it into their heads not to allow me to pass through their street. So they howled and shrieked and clutched at my feet as I passed. Can you imagine these monkeys? And they're not so small. They're, they're pretty big. And uh, so he begins to run. And that only made things worse. They started chasing him. The faster he, I ran, he says, the faster came the monkeys and they began to bite at me. So he was really in a fix. And then what happened? It was an old monk who saw what was happening. And he called out to him, hey, sadhu, stop. Face the brutes. Swamiji stopped. He turned around and faced the brutes. And what happened? They stopped. And then they shrank back. And then they went away. Hey, stop. Face the brute. So he would tell this story often, and he would say, this is a lesson for all of us. Face the terrible, face it boldly. Yes, difficulties will come in life. If we flee, they will chase us like those monkeys. So we face the brutes, face the brutes. He says, let me read you a little bit of that. If we are ever to gain freedom, it must be by conquering nature, never by running away. Cowards never win victories. Hmm? We have to fight fear and troubles and ignorance if we expect them to flee before us. What is death? What are terrors? Do you not see the Lord's face in them? Fly from evil and terror and misery and they will follow you. Face them and they will flee. So this is the message of Vivekananda, face the difficulties and, and they will be surmounted. I had an opportunity to put this into practice in India when I was living in the Himalayan ashrama called Mayavati, the Advaita ashrama, founded by Swami Vivekananda. I was there for two years and I would take a walk most afternoons up into the hills and coming back one day, I was just approaching, coming down the hill, just coming towards the ashrama, which is at about 6,000 feet. And there were two dogs coming up the path towards me. And there were some uh, villagers cutting wood off in the forest for their cooking fires. And uh, these dogs belonged to them. And they came up and started coming somewhat aggressively towards me. And I remembered Swami Vivekananda's admonition, face the brutes. I thought, here are two brutes coming. I'm going to face them boldly. No fear. Luckily, I had my stick with me. <laughs> so I'm walking. I didn't slow down anything. I just, and I think I, when they start coming to me, they're, hop, 
go away. What happened? They came very aggressively, right up to me, barking furiously. I'm dodging, st standing behind my stick, kind of uh, pushing them off and shouting at the top of my lungs, go away, go away, no, no, stop. <laughs> it took one whistle from the master of the dogs and they immediately went away. So I was kind of uh, a little shaken up. I thought, well, Swami Vivekananda told us, face the brutes. And what happened here? Oh, I, what I realized later is that I didn't apply his, his lesson um, intelligently. We have to face the brutes in the right way. Sri Ramakrishna gives us the right way to face a dog. Sri Ramakrishna says, uh, be careful about a dog. He actually gives this warning in his teachings in the, in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, that wonderful document. He says, be careful about a dog. When it chases you or barks at you, you must stand still. Talk to it gently and pacify it. So there's a way to, every brute has its own particular way to face it. It doesn't mean necessarily that facing the brutes means be aggressive. In the case of the monkeys, Swamiji had to show some kind of, and of course he was a great yogi, so he could actually show some real fire to those monkeys. But with dogs, dogs aren't monkeys, dogs are dogs. And uh, <laughs> we have to face them differently. So that was a good lesson, how to face the dogs. All right, one more about uh, Swami Vivekananda. Mm, in England, it was, uh, well, I'm not sure exactly when, sometime when he was in England, he was in the countryside with two of his students, uh, E.T. Sturdy, Edward Sturdy, and Henrietta Mueller. And they were going for a walk, maybe their afternoon constitutional. And uh, they went into a meadow and there was a bull in the meadow. And suddenly the bull charged. Now I can, I have never been charged by a bull, but I've seen bulls that have at least looked a little threatening. It's frightening, they're huge. And uh, you know, with those horns, it's, it's, uh, it's something. So what happened? Sturdy immediately fled. He took to his heels and he ran, jumped the fence to safety. He didn't think about Swamiji. He didn't think about Miss Mueller. He only thought about <laughs> rescuing his own self. So uh, then what happened to Swamiji and Miss Mueller? Miss Mueller started running, but she couldn't run far. Probably she was wearing a corset or something, the terrible costumes that women were forced to wear in those days. Uh, so she didn't get far and she collapsed on the ground. So what did Swamiji do? He placed himself between Miss Mueller and the bull. Faced the bull and what went through his mind? So this is the end after all. So this is the end after all. <laughs> Fearless. Afterwards, uh, and of course we know there wasn't afterwards. Uh, afterwards, uh, he told us what he was thinking about. What was he thinking about? His mind was involved in a mathematical calculation as to how far the bull could throw. <laughs> this is fearlessness. Hmm? How far the bull will throw? Hmm, this is interesting. This body is, uh, uh, he would have been thinking in, well, maybe in pounds. This body is 160 pounds and the bull can throw. How well, far, far will it go? because he was not identified in the least with his body. So it's a wonderful... So the bull, what happened is that the bull stopped suddenly and just a few paces off and then raised its head and retreated. So uh, <laughs> this is um, Swami Vivekananda. All right, let's uh, look a, a little more at some practical suggestions from in the context of spiritual practice. First, we've already talked a little bit about the approach of wisdom. We call it jnana yoga, where we emphasize our true nature as spirit, indestructible spirit. That's the first uh, prong, really, of uh, our approach to this problem of fear. I am indestructible. What can hurt me? And also, uh, 
develop a, a comfort with the inherent uncertainty of life. So often what we fear, we fear because we're not, we don't know what's going to happen. What could happen, we don't know. And just developing comfort with that, that's simply in the nature of things that we do not know what's going to happen. All right, let it go. I don't know what's going to happen, but it doesn't matter because I will be all right whatever happens because I am a luminous soul of light and love. That is my true nature. Whatever happens in my life, I will be okay. If tomorrow an earthquake comes and everything is flattened and a big fireball comes and burns everything up, I will be okay because I am a luminous soul of love and light. If tomorrow all my family is killed by... Uh, some terrible disease, and I'm left all alone, I will be okay because I am a luminous soul of love and light. That's how we can develop some comfort with the inherent uncertainties of life and an acceptance that death will come, it must come to the body, I will not die. I will not die. I will leave the body when the time comes. And why should I fear that time? Cowards die many times before their deaths, says William Shakespeare in one of his, uh, um, in Julius Caesar, actually, one of his plays. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste of death but once. Of all the wonders that I yet have heard, it seems to me most strange that men should fear seeing that death, a necessary end, will come when it will come. Shakespeare had a lot of wisdom. He was a, he was a giant. Swamiji used to quote this, cowards die many times before their deaths. Imagining our death, how many times, how many ways there are to die, we can build up all kinds of scenarios of horrible deaths. That's dying so many times, but the valiant, the courageous, the fearless have, have only once to die when they actually leave this body. Before that, why think about it? And Shakespeare makes such a nice point. It seems to me most strange that people should be afraid when death will come. Death, a necessary end, will come when it will come. When it comes, let it come. All right. Combined with... Uh, the path of wisdom, of course, we have the path of devotion. And for many of us, that also may be a very appealing and maybe our primary practice, the path of love, love of God, envisioning the divine as a person who is there to protect us. We take refuge, we take shelter in the divine. In fact, our opening prayer is that we take we take shelter in that infinite reality. All right, so I may not be all the time fully convinced of my own indestructible nature as a uh, luminous soul of love and light, but I can pray for protection. I can seek shelter in that infinite source of love, which is the divine. You know, the different deities in the Indian tradition in Hinduism, they're very often shown with a, a raised palm and another palm out like this. What is the meaning? This one is granting boons. Come to me, I will, I will give you what you need. I will give you what you want. And this, fear not, fear not. Come to me and I will give you shelter. Fear not, be not afraid. Everything will be all right, no matter what happens. This is called the granting of fearlessness, abhayadana. Sri Ramakrishna used to love the song, he used to sing it often, describing the feet of the Divine Mother as the abode of fearlessness and taking shelter there at the blessed feet of the Divine Mother, I can have no fear. What fear can death hold for me because I have a refuge at the blessed feet of the Divine Mother? Let me sing the first line. Abhay pade pran shampechi Ami arki jomer bhay rekhechi Abhay pade pran shampechi Abhay pade pran shampechi I have surrendered my soul at the fearless feet of the mother. 
What fear can I have of Yama? Yama, the king of death. What fear can I have of him? I have surrendered my soul there. So God protects. God is there to protect us. The divine name. In the path of devotion, we take the, we repeat the divine name. The divine name has a great protective power. And it is said that when we, if we go out and uh, into a worldly situation, into a difficult situation, we can protect ourselves with the divine name itself. Repeating the divine name, feeling that the divine name forms a kind of armor for us, protecting us from uh, wicked thoughts, from wicked actions, from uh, people who might want to harm us. The divine name brings the divine right here. If we can do what we do in life as service of the divine, that also brings a great fearlessness. Swami Vivekananda, in one of the letters he wrote to his brothers, uh, he was in America fighting to establish uh, the ideal of Vedanta, means to at least break down the narrowness and exclusivity of the American religious mindset. Uh, he was also writing to his brother disciples to effect the revolution in Indian society that he envisioned and which afterwards uh, they did and have been carrying out. So he says, for those who are servants of Sri Ramakrishna, they're, they're the, they're, they're spiritual master, Sri Ramakrishna, who is, I think most of you know him. He's pictured there in the shrine. Sri Ramakrishna, they're his, they're his servants. What fear can they have? And he puts it in the most powerful language you can, you can put. Let me read that line from his letter. He's telling them to work, to work with undaunted energy. What fear? Who is powerful enough to thwart you? And he coins this Sanskrit verse. We shall crush the stars to atoms, he says. We shall crush the stars to atoms and unhinge the universe. Don't you know who we are? We are the servants of Sri Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna dasavayam. We are the servants of Sri Ramakrishna. Crushing the stars to atoms is nothing for us. This kind of intense faith in the divine, that if, if we are purely serving God, if we can do everything as service of the divine, what fear can there be? We are doing this as service. Leave the results up to the divine. And know that the power that is Sri Ramakrishna is behind us. That they had that intense faith. Swami Vivekananda, uh, when he was traveling in India, before coming to the West, he visited a number of places in South India also. And at one place, there was one young boy, K.S. Ramaswamy Shastri. He was about 12 years old or something. And... and Swami Vivekananda gave him a wonderful teaching. He, he told him, memorize these four words. He gave, them, he gave him four words. They're Sanskrit words. Sorry about that. Um, but they're very important words. He said, you, these give the essence of all the teachings of our scriptures. These four words. Abhaya, ahimsa, asanga, ananda. This is abhaya, fearlessness. Ahimsa, non-injury, asanga, non-attachment, and ananda, bliss. These four are intimately connected. Abhaya, what we have been talking about today, abhaya. Bhaya is fear, abhaya is fearlessness. Ahimsa, not injuring anybody. We know that term from Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King, non-violence, non-violent resistance and all that, ahimsa. Asanga, non-attachment. Sangha is attachment. Asanga is non-attachment. Let go. And ananda, bliss, the bliss that is our true nature. When we harm someone, we can very well expect that they will harm us in return. Isn't it? <laughs> then we get fear. 
Himsa, harming immediately brings fear, fear of retaliation, fear of harm coming to us also. When we become established in non-harming, we also become established in not fearing. Asanga, attachment. When we're attached to something, we're afraid that we're going to lose it. This is a, it's, a, it's a basic principle of life. When we're attached to, if we're holding on tight to something, uh, when someone pulls it out of our hands, it's going to hurt. So let open our open our hands. Let it go. Detachment. That leads to avaya, fearlessness, and bliss, ananda, which is our true nature. As we walk on the spiritual path, if we can keep these four principles, that's enough. Fearless, not harming anyone, not being harmed, not, be, not binding ourselves anywhere, giving our love freely without any expectation of return. And what do we, what do we gain then? We gain ananda, we gain bliss, the pearl without price, the bliss of our true nature, the bliss of the divine. So it's a kind of mantra, abhaya, ahimsa, asanga, ananda. Let's say it all together. Abhaya, ahimsa, asanga, ananda. Fearlessness, non-injury, non-attachment, bliss. Thank you. <laughs> So I think we're, we're coming up on the uh, end of our hour, and I shouldn't detain you too much longer. Uh, but I think the last word, we have to still come to the last word, which is put so beautifully in the Bible, the Christian Bible, by the Apostle John. There is no fear in love, he says. Perfect love drives out fear. This is, to me at least, the last word in fearlessness and in spiritual life. <laughs> Perfect love drives out fear. Swami Vivekananda would often give the example of, uh, there would be some young mothers in the audience and he would say, if there's a dog in the street barking, you young women, you'll be afraid, you'll come running. But if your child is in the street and there's a tiger in the street, where will you be? At the mouth of the tiger to protect your loved one. So this idea of uh, love conquering fear. Let me read a little quote uh, from, this is from his uh, discourse on Parabhakti, the supreme devotion. He says, love conquers all fear. Fear comes from the selfish idea of cutting one's self off from the universe. If we cut ourselves off from the universe, then fear arises there from this selfish idea that we cut ourselves off, that we are separate from everything. The smaller and the more selfish I make myself, the more is my fear. Hmm? The more we think I am weak, the more we will fear. Again, the power of thought. The smaller and more selfish I make myself, the more is my fear. If a man thinks he is a little nothing, a man or a woman, I should say. If a man or a woman thinks he or she is a little nothing, fear will surely come upon him or her. And the less you think of yourself as an insignificant person, the less fear there will be for you. So long as there is the least spark of fear in you, there can be no love there. Love and fear are incompatible. God is never to be feared by those who love him. This is the challenge given to us to love. Love to me is the highest expression of oneness on the plane of duality. We are still feel separate, but when we love, that's a tendency towards oneness. And when we are established in oneness, there can be no fear as we discussed earlier. So love is that which conquers fear. When we can really love all people, that we, can't, we won't fear. Uh, let's think about the life of our uh, Holy Mother, Sri Sarada Devi, who taught 
to see that no one is a stranger, to love all as our very own. Now, here's the, here's the rub. It's sometimes that we can't actually like everybody. People rub us the wrong way. And this is not, when we are asked to love everyone, we're not being asked to like everyone. And this is an interesting point. We can dislike someone and still love them. Why? Because we are established in spiritual life, because we love God, because we know that our true nature is love, and we practice extending that love to all. On the personal level, we may dislike someone and still recognize that they are also a child of the Divine Mother, just like I am. And therefore, though I may not like them, I will not withdraw my love from them, and therefore I will not fear them also. So that little idea, we, we really just touched on the subject of fearlessness. I tried to, in today's talk to first emphasize the idea that fear really holds us back in whatever field it is, whether it's fear of um, asking our boss for a raise or fear of telling our children that we love them or uh, fear of being dying of some terrible disease, uh, it holds us back in life. And then tried to bring, uh, searching for the, the real roots of fear and then bringing some practical ideas from the Vedanta, emphasizing our indestructible, ever joyful, true nature and uh, approaching the divine for protection, for love, cultivating love in ourselves, that love which drives out fear. So thank you for uh, listening and giving me the chance to share my thoughts and uh, may we take shelter at those fearless feet of the Divine Mother and attain blissfulness and fearlessness and true love. Thank you. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.